folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are making our way through the book of the Apocalypse, also known as Revelation, but Apocalypse is uh, the Greek term, first word of the book, uh, which means unveiling, uncovering. We talked about that. The book of Revelation, chapter 6, is on the docket today. We just made our way through what I would say is, um, I would say you could... You could call chapters 4 and 5 the kingdom of heaven drawing near in the divine service. Chapter 4, this throne room. Chapter 5, we have this lamb who goes to get this scroll uh, from the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. And everybody is praising the lamb because the lamb can open up its seals. And chapter 6, what we'll cover today, is the first... Uh, six of the seals opening up, and uh, it's a doozy. So with that said, I'll go ahead and read the chapter, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So here we go. The text of Revelation chapter 6 reads as follows. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne 
and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Alrighty, so there we have the text of Revelation chapter 6. I mentioned last time that uh, in chapter 5 we have all of these indications of items that are also in the divine service. The scroll, we have the the book, we had in chapter 4 the water and the spirit. And now we have this lamb opening this scroll. This is, by the way, very, I think I made this point, very big language. Christ himself opens the scriptures. Christ himself is the content and also the agent, the means whereby that content is opened up and revealed. There's a lot of language. Think road to Emmaus, their eyes are opened. Um, and the scriptures being opening, being opened up. Um, while he opened to them the scriptures, this kind of the language of Christ being the foremost teacher of his church. It is the risen lamb. Again, it looks slain and yet standing, resurrected, this risen, crucified lamb who opens his own scriptures. And I take chapter 6 along those lines, as in chapter 6, the four horsemen and uh, the fifth and the sixth seal here, This is what happens when that scroll is opened up. When the Lamb opens up these seals, this is what happens when the Word goes forth. And I don't think this is just kind of a down-the-road sort of thing. I think Revelation chapter 6 depicts a thing or two about what's happening even right now in the church, the church across all times and places. What happens when the Word is opened up And it goes forth. So the first uh, seal here, the lamb opened one of the seven. I heard one of the four living creatures uh, say with a loud voice, come. Now let me just work with that a little bit. The four living creatures we saw already in chapter four and five, this, what? One had the face of a man and then a lion and then an ox and an eagle. It stands for, I would say, the whole created order, giving you the chief of the, of, of each of the, the realms, you might say, lion is what, the king of the jungle, and the eagle as the, the birds and all of this, um, the heavenly realm, skies above. This um, ox is the domesticated, you know, the, one of the tip-top domesticated animals. Um, but also the, the human, also humanity is in this. And I take these four living creatures, and sometimes they, I think it just stands for the whole created order, basically to, to put it in a way that covers it throughout the book. Here, I think their speech is reflecting the prayers of people. When they say, "Come," think, by the way, this is totally just the Advent collect. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come. I think these four living creatures saying out with a loud voice, they stand, as it were, for humanity's cry, more specifically the church's cry, uh, you'll see throughout Advent, come. It sounds like a great voice, a voice of thunder. Um, and I love that language too because this is, I don't know, in John 12, it sounds like, you know, when the voice comes from above, from heaven, it sounds like somebody said, hey, it's thundering. This is a very, this is, might be four living creatures. They might seem odd, but it's still very much um, that voice that sounds, uh, what, 
divine or heard by the divine realm come and what happens behold a white horse its rider had a bow and it was given to him a crown and he went out conquering and in order to conquer these horsemen so this is kind of a popular part of revelation uh albrecht Durer had this uh, a really well-known woodcut of these four horsemen i encourage you to take a look at it sometime it's it packs a punch uh, the four horsemen, what should we say? First thing that there are four of them is an all-encompassing number. Four in Revelation, think north, south, east, west, the number of the globe. It's an all-encompassing, it's a global reality. And so it's not just like, well, then this one, then this one. It's much more of a, these four horsemen tell us something about the word going forth. There are some texts in, well, Zechariah has some chariots. It's similar, Zechariah 6 has some chariots. But here we have uh, four individual uh, horses with riders. And so there might be some correspondence there. At the same time, Revelation kind of doing its own thing. Let me think first with you, the one seated upon this first one. So each of these horses is going to tell us something about the word going forth. What's this first one? Well, I love this language of bow because it's the same one that's used in Genesis. He has a bow. Well, on first glance, you think bow to, like, shoot arrows. Well, bow as in bow in the sky, Genesis. It was given to him a crown, think royalty, and also in order to, to conquer, uh, conquering and to conquer, this word for Nike. I just think there's a lot of gospel here. The bow, think baptism. This rider is going forth with a bow. On the one hand, if you want nothing to do with this word as it goes forth, well, there's a bow, God's wrath, as it were, the fiery darts, and so on. But at the same time, uh, what? The bow for those who are receptive to this word. Uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear to the one who conquers. Same language that's used to all the seven churches is used here for this first horseman. So bow and crown. Be thou steadfast. Hold the faith unto life. I'll give you the crown of life. Hold it unto death, and uh, Nikeing and or to Nike. Okay, so there is this. I guess it's it's kind of a both and. This language is used in ways that could be oh bad news, but also could be very good news. The bow, as I talked about, the crown. Um, we're going to see two different types of crowns in the Book of Revelation. One on the good side, one on the bad side, as it were. God has crowns on His side, so also. Are we going to see a kind of mimicking of the royalty on the devilish side? And then also niking, this conquering. It could mean in the sense of you're overcome, but it also could mean you're overcoming. And so I just love that the horse, as the word goes forth, it's both a law and gospel word. And we see that already in this first horse. Second one is what? Again, the second one I heard, and again the language is come. The second seal opens up and the living creature again says come. And this one's bright red, this horse. Its rider is permitted to take peace from the earth and in order, uh, what does that mean? I'm looking at the Greek here. People should kill one another. And he was given a great sword. This is, I mean, this just sounds like a lot of judgment and that's the case. But again, I want to make this clear. This is how our Lord reigns via his word. This end times 
sounding stuff is already going on right now. When you see this horse, it might sound odd, this imagery. This horse, uh, the word is, is fiery red. Again, sounds like judgment. This is the sort of thing that's already happening right now. When you hear this, that he's able to take peace from the earth and he's given a great sword, this is exactly our Lord's preaching. Do not think, we hear in uh, Matthew 10, do not think I've come to bring peace, but division. I've come to bring a sword that's going to divide father from from son and mother from daughter and so on. Um, do not think that I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring rather a sword. This is exactly our Lord's preaching on the effects of the word going forth. It will cause division because of the unfortunate reality of those who want nothing to do with it. And this second horseman just depicts that. The third one, again, similar stuff. We have uh, the third seal opening up, come. Again, this language, this is the Advent Collect, again and again. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come. It's also going to be really rich at the end of the book, come, Lord Jesus. And uh, its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. A pair, it's like a, the word for yoke or scales. If you think of a yoke that ties two oxen together, the big wood beam that runs across their necks, uh, it's the same word there. Um, he and had two scales in his hand. And I, I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures. Now, this is one of the oddest moments in the whole book. I heard a voice in the middle of the four living creatures, somebody from creation down there saying, um, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Um, now, some have said that this is about judgment in that um, it's economic judgment. The scales, like things are going to be way out of proportion economically. And uh, it's going to be terrible cost. If you look at the kind of what these things are going for in the time, this is a ridiculous cost, and everybody's going to be kind of begging for things. Um, I'm okay with that, but at the same time, I think we can push it even farther. And here's how. This business of, you got to think first, okay, yeah, it it is what? Um, the word going forth is going to disrupt one's what plays comfort zone in the economy you might say i mean i'm okay with that but i think that what you can do more is ask ourselves what are these elements all about well why are we talking wheat or grain and why are we talking barley and then oil and wine these items are hugely rich liturgically they're mentioned first of all in the new temple in ezekiel this uh, the measuring of a yoke and a quart, the barley's mentioned there, the grain's mentioned there. These are also, keep going with this, these are also big items in the promised land, grain, oil, and wine. These are also, and then hear me this time especially, liturgical offerings. Grain, oil, and wine are often in the prophets for this kind of, this is this is not just any sort of substance here. These These things we bring to the temple. And these things, it's like the voice there crying out is is like a prayer for give us this day our daily bread. And by the way, this so let this, we want our daily bread in the midst of this, whatever cost it is. And by the way, this, uh, the wine and the oil do not harm. Again, this language is in the new temple. 
This is, I mean, think about those, the oil and the wine. These I take to be, these are, this is what's used in the liturgy. This is what's used in the divine service, in the temple, in the tabernacle. These things are, do not harm uh, the bread. Do not harm the oil and the wine. Do not harm the sacraments. You might say, give us this day our daily bread. Don't harm our offerings that we bring to church. Let that still happen. Don't harm the things of the divine service. Keep your hands off the stuff. The true bread and wine and oil. Baptism, body, blood, you know, these kinds of things. Hands off. Let that go. And our Lord, even as the word goes forth and maybe disrupts things economically and so on, these items here, let them give us this day our daily bread and let the things of the divine service keep going on. And our Lord has promised that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we'll do that fourth horseman and the rest of chapter six on the other side. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. There, folks, we are back with our study of Revelation chapter 6, the four horses, as my kiddos might call them. We've done the first three again. I take these, the language is, it's repeated every single time that, and when it was opened, the seal, the second, and when it was opened, the seal, the third, and when it was opened, the seal, the fourth. All of this activity is tied to the opening of the seal. We can't forget this. I take that as very significant that this happens as the seal is opened, as the scroll is unrolled, as the word of the Lord goes forth. This is what happens. And the fourth one is what? Again, we have the fourth living creature say, Come. This is the repeated collect of the church. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. You might remember the Son of Man saying, I have the key to death and Hades. I died, I'm alive forevermore. Death and Hades are conquered by him. Hades followed after him. It was given him authority 
uh, to do what? Over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. This kind of language of sword and famine and death and all this, this is just simply, I mean, not simply, I shouldn't say it that way, but um, this reality of killing and famine and sword, this is all end time stuff. And this is, again, the preaching of our Lord. Think Mark chapter 13. This is what our Lord promised as the history of the world unfolds, as the word goes forth. This is the kind, I mean, do we have famines? Do we have wars, rumors of wars, death, and so on? This fourth horseman I take to to be um, representative. And yet it's only a fourth. It's not the full thing. As Revelation goes on, we'll see judgments that are a third instead of a fourth, a little bit more or judgments that are completely global. So as much as this is end time stuff, yet it's not the end. I mean, only a fourth. It's There is indications of, you know, there's there's worse to come. So let this be a warning, a, a, a key to uh, a gesture, a signal to repent. Okay, then we have the fifth seal, and this is going to be something that the book draws on later in, uh, in many different ways. He opens the fifth seal, and then he sees under the altar. This is the first time in Revelation we have this word for altar. The souls of those who had been slain, same word for the lamb. They had been slain just as uh, they go. they took up their cross and they followed the lamb crucified. Slain on account of the word of God, which is exactly what John... And this is a fascinating thing, because John, in the beginning of the book, says, I'm on Patmos, this crazy island, on account of the word of God. Here are these souls. He sees souls that have been slain. Why? On account of the word of God. And account, and on account of the witness that, that they hold to. And uh, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you'll judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Fascinating seal here, totally different than these horsemen. All of a sudden we're focusing on... Now, first things first, why are we... At the altar or under the altar, um, they are with the Lord. They are, you might say, well, under the altar. I mean, the place where what? Blood would be thrown, the place of sacrifice. So there, I think there's a sacrificial thing here. There's also, their death is not meaningless. It's been joined to Christ's death. Again, the lamb slain. They're at the altar. Um. And Christ will be the embodiment of this holy place. I think at the same time, it's also this, what? That they are with the church in the divine service. Again, altar. Hey, we have altars all around the world. And we have blood going forth from those altars. And we are communing with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven. And here they are with us when we are at that altar. And so I think there's also this, and their prayer is our prayer until how long? This is, by the way, how the psalmists tend to speak. How long? It's They're praying a psalm here. How long will you avenge our blood? Very rich language. Blood in Revelation. It's blood of the Lamb, but there's also blood on the other side. Um, 
how long will you avenge our vengeance is mine i will repay so they they pray this the church prays this and i love the response they are first given a white robe why clothing first because this is the greatest source of comfort that we have wait a minute white robe we already have those available to us in baptism white robe in revelation is something that's both a it's down the road you'll get it and it's also a right here right now you already have it and so they're given a white robe like that white robe that you get in baptism is the source of all comfort and consolation whether you're on the church militant side of things or the church triumphant it's that precious that heavenly gift that we have already right now and they're given that and then they're told to rest a little longer so the speech comes after the robe first and then the speech which i mean the baptized life here you're clothed and then you keep listening to the lord and he grants you rest for your restless soul and he has his plan he has his time and uh, they're told to wait. And we're going to say more about this as we go along. These The souls underneath the altar, they get illusions quite a bit throughout the book in fascinating ways. Okay, finally, sixth seal is what? We're, cru- we're cruising, aren't we? Covering some serious ground. The sixth seal, so often in the, in the Revelation, we get what? Groups of seven. And then the first four are kind of lumped together quickly. We go through them. One, two, three, four. And then there's a little bit of a extension for five and six. And then a pause or some sort of interlude for seven. So for one to four kind of happen. And then there's five and six that are a little bit more pronounced. And then it's seven. That's exactly what happens here. One to four, the horses. And then five gets a little more attention. Six gets even more attention. And then there's seven we'll talk about next time. And often also what happens in these groups of seven is that number six often corresponds to like really closely to like the end times of this present age before the seventh tends to be like a consummation or final culmination of all things. And I take this sixth seal to be along those lines. And that is you're going to hear some end time stuff. Um, I opened the six. Uh, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked. There was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. Full moon became like blood. Stars fell uh, to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by the gale. Think fig tree again. Our Lord before the passion talks about the fig tree. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. Every mountain and island removed from its place. Kings of the earth, great ones, general, rich, powerful, everyone, slave and free, hide themselves in caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So all this language, the sun being blackened and you know uh, a sackcloth the moon becoming like blood this is all think joel great day of the lord the crucifixion end times preaching of our lord surrounding the crucifixion um everyone's the rocks being split this is all end times lingo that is also been inaugurated by the crucifixion we're already in the last days right now and this is the the kind of this is the sixth seal is like this is what's happening as the word goes forth it's rattling 
things in end times ways already right now, even as this will have a, a final showing, as it were, an ultimate showing at the last day when it's all brought to its consummation. The van, the sky rolling up. We learn this language from the Psalms and what Isaiah also is it this scroll. I'm going to roll up the sky like a scroll and every mountain is going to be rattled from its place. And I was, I mean, it sounds like way down the road, but also I, so it's like a both and it's happening right now already happened at the crucifixion. I like, the point of the crucifixion is you're looking at the end times right there at the cross. And yet there will be a final day, final, final day, all the same. Notice the irony too, about all these people, the rich and powerful, everyone, what they're calling out to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the hit. I mean, this is exactly the stuff. Revelation has a lot of irony in it where what's the issue? Well, there's earthquakes and uh, there's stuff of creation that's affecting them. What do they do? They take refuge in the very stuff that's the problem. The stuff of creation is causing the problem and they do what? Call out to the mountains of the rocks. The stuff that's causing all the problem fall on us and hide us from the face of him who said... So here's a classic example of people who have taken refuge in the pl- in the things of this world. The Lord in his infinite wisdom will make sure the things of this world will not do for us what we need them to do for us. And yet here it is when the going gets tough that these peeps take refuge in those same very things. It's just an enslavement to the stuff that uh, is is mastering over us, idols and and these false gods and so on, the things of creation. Um, and then finally, um, f- the face of him and from the wrath of the lamb. So both, you notice the one who sits on the throne and from the lamb, both together, the lamb as one with the one who sits on the throne. The great day of the wrath has come, again, this day of the Lord. And who is able to stand? That question is going to cue us up one of the most popular chapters in all of Revelation. And I'll, I'll talk about that. It's one of my top 40 texts I told you to wait for, and now's the time. We'll do that, uh, we'll do that next time, Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000. And um, we'll talk a little bit more about, hey, what about that seventh seal, and how does that all work uh, then as well? So stay tuned, my friends. That's all the time we have for this session of Christ in every word, but uh, spread the word so that uh, more people can join in with us. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. 